Letter number five this morning, everyone. Hope you're excited about that. Here we go. We are we halfway through the uh, the letters, Jesus's letters to the churches in Asia Minor. Um, interestingly, uh, and I hope that you're praying for, um, you know, this is the very area where the earthquake happened a week ago in Turkey. So modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. Um, same area that we're studying these churches, um, that's the same area that just experienced this earthquake that um, I hope that you are uh, crying out to the Lord on their behalf um, uh, actually a week ago. And so um, just just so that you would know that as we are as we are studying here, a couple of things also that I want you to just be um, in ministry uh, to... Um, our fellow church family, um, Pastor Dennis, his mother passed away um, yesterday morning, and so if you could just be praying and ministering to them, he uh, um, is going to do the ceremony, do the service on Wednesday afternoon uh, in Taylorsville, Illinois, so if you could be in prayer for uh, their travel, God would protect them, the Holy Spirit would speak through him, um, and that we as the family of Jesus here minister to him in his family uh, also be in prayer for Ms. Darlene Kennedy, one of, our, uh, one of our most senior members, sweet lady and saint of the Lord who's uh, in the hospital and fighting, um, fighting some things right now. Um, and so just be in prayer for the Martin family, uh, for Ms. Kennedy, and just, again, God's comfort and peace. Because we are the family of Jesus, and we intercede, and we come and ring wrap our arms around when those who are hurting. Amen? And yes, and also Miss Nelda Long, thank you. Another sweet saint, one of our oldest saints in the, in the body. Uh, she's struggling as well with health issues. So you can be in prayer for uh, Howard and Judy and the whole family, their comfort and peace as well uh, to them. So um, in fact, let's pray right now. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we lift up these, uh, these sweet families to you, God. We, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your great love. Um, that we have sang about, that we have um, um, recalled this morning, God, your precious promises. And, and so uh, as these sweet saints, Lord, are suffering uh, and these families, God, that are walking through this pain and suffering, God, would you in this moment, God, uh, be the Prince of Peace that you are and that your peace that surpasses all understanding would just reign in them and through them and wash over them, God, we pray, Lord, that we as the family of Jesus, the loving family of Jesus, would be here in support and help to intercede, to cry out on their behalf, Lord. Um, you are the God of all comfort, and you comfort us in our afflictions. And so, God, we remember that today, and we pray um, that your peace would be with the true family and with the Williamsons and with the Martins today, God. And would you do as only you can do, which is minister to our heart. We ask this in the mighty name and the authority of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, has anybody, uh, do y'all remember Snowmageddon? I fondly refer to Snowmageddon as February 14th, which incidentally was almost two years ago to the day when it did not look like this and it did not feel like this. Remember that? Right? We were preparing for the shutdown, and it was a shutdown, right? It was like pipes were frozen 
all that kind of crazy stuff. You couldn't drive, right? It was oh, four-wheel drive only. It was just crazy kind of stuff. In fact, I remember helping one of my neighbors. <laughs> he, had, he had a little Toyota Tacoma, and he's trying to get up his driveway. And so there, the neighbors come out, and we're trying to help him push up his driveway. And then he finally, the light bulb goes off, and he's like, aha, I have a tractor. Well, we were wondering where the tractor was the whole time. It was kind of funny. Like, I mean, after 10 minutes, where's the tractor? So he brings the tractor out, and up he goes up his slick driveway. But, I mean, you've got countless stories of Snowmageddon, but one of the major things and the major casualties of Snowmageddon, would you not say, is our trees and bushes? Some of y'all still have bushes that have not been resurrected, right? Yeah, I mean, you still got half of them dead. Hey, if y'all want a personal example, we could all take a field trip right out to our front flower bed if you want to. In fact, when you pass by there, you'll see half dead, half alive, right? And you're like, which way is it going to be? Some of you have those limbs. You're like, is this tree, should I still leave it up? Should I take it down? Half dead, half alive. Well, the church that we're looking at today, the church of Sardis, probably be characterized the same way. Are they dead? Are they alive? Because you can look, and it's like, well, I see some buds, and and it looks a bit fruitful, but but what's on the inside? Is there rot? Is, is, it, is it going to make it? And that's the church that we're looking at today. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wow, that's a wake-up call right there, isn't it? How about an opening letter, an introduction? I know your works, but you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen that remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, verse 3, then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word today. The first thing that I want you to write down and that we see right away is that this is a sleepy church. It's a sleepy church. What do you mean? They take a lot of naps? No, (laughs) that's not what I'm talking about. It says... They're basically, he uses two illustrations, dead and alive, asleep and awake, right? Asleep and awake. And so this church looked good on the outside, but there was rot on the inside. They looked like there was life, but in fact, they were dead. This church was more concerned about keeping up outward appearances than a vibrant, alive relationship with the Lord. This church was sleeping. This church was going through the motions. Anybody ever gone through the motions in their life? Right? We better all raise our hand on that one. Yeah? All right, get up another day, go to work, right? Some of you have breakfast. Some of you skip breakfast, right? I'm not going to 
attribute the traditional value of that right now. We can debate that later, right? Uh, lunch, you have your lunch, and then, right, go home. Maybe you go to the gym, you go work out, then you go home, right? And you do it all over again, right? And we go at it again, right? And so you feel before long, you feel like you could just be going through the motions of life before you know it. You've graduated high school. Then you're in college. Then you're a young adult. Then you have a career. Then you're in your, hey, hello, mid-40s. Well, early 40s. But anyway, right? And, and you're like, if you're, not, if, if, you don't, if you're not active and engaged and intentional about what you're doing, right, before you know it, you're like, I'm just here, just going through the motions. The scary point, I think, for the believer is to go through the motions, and the scary point for the church is to go through the motions. And what do we know about the church? The church is made up of people, amen? So if the people are going through the motions, the church can, and thus is therefore going through the motions. Correct? Okay. Do you know how you get to a place of going through the motions and just having an outward appearance instead of a vibrant relationship with the Lord? I would say you play to the consumeristic culture that is around you. What do you say? Well, you'd be concerned that you've got the top-notch children's program. You'd be concerned that you have the top-notch youth program. You'd be concerned that everything looks modern, that everything looks accessible, that everything looks open. You make sure that all the outward things are good. But what about the inward things, Jesus says? What about knowing me? What about intimacy with me? Do you know every one of these letters, every single one of them, you know what the reward is? The reward is intimately knowing Jesus in the Father. To the one who conquers, he gets the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? Adam and Eve, tree of life. That was a symbol of intimate fellowship. And Jesus is saying, hey, we can return to that. You can get back to that if you will confess, if you will come back to me. And we can have sweet, beautiful, intimate fellowship one with another, tree of life. Over and over, you can go start at the first letter to Ephesus and every one of the sequential letters. He says, to the one who holds fast, to the one who draws near, that person will get the reward of sweet, intimate fellowship. Remember the stone? Remember the church that, that he says, he says to, the, to the one who conquers, I will hand him a stone. That white stone represented a ticket into the banquet hall, right? And what is that imagery of? That you get to have fellowship with the king. You get to have fellowship with the Lord. And you get, and so your name is written on there, and you get to come in. You say, how, and I'm going to speak of the, of the church in general today, not just specifically UC, but also the church in general, right? Okay, so I'm not saying like, hey, this is us. Obviously, let the word of God lay where it lays, and if it convicts us, obviously, absolutely, but what I'm saying is the church in general, how did we get to in the American church where we are appearing alive on the outside but dead on the inside? We played to the consumeristic culture. Words like, I need to be fed. Hold on a second. I think Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me. In fact, do you know what he said to the ones who said, I need to be fed? In John's words, after he feeds the 5,000, they come to him on the seashore the next day. You remember this? They come to the seashore the next day. They said, 
We want to be fed. We're hungry. Well, what did they mean? They meant physical food. Jesus said, hey, I'll feed you, but I'm not going to feed you with the physical food that keeps expiring and that keeps going away. I will feed you with the spiritual food that you need. I will give you the words of life. I will give you the bread of life. I will give you the living water. That, that contradicts and goes everything against the consumable society that is all around us. And if we're not careful, as the people of God and the family of Jesus, we say, well, I'm just going to go where I can be fed. But Jesus says, that's, that's, not, that's not it. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the least. And you must serve the least of these. So Jesus always flips his consumeristic culture. He said, blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, not blessed are the rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, because they realize their need for me. And because they realize that they have been for extraordinary forgiven, they serve others out of that place. You see the difference? It's a privilege to come together as the people of God. It's a privilege to come together in his name. It's a privilege to serve others. And guess what? In the feeding, what I get out of it is that I'm serving others. I'm exalting the king. And in that, I get fed, right? But if my focus is me and my kingdom, does he say, let my kingdom come, let my will be done? No. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a sleepy church that has looked good on the outside but does not have the strengthening, intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus. Nowhere in any of these letters does Jesus say that you need to have great buildings, have a great number of baptisms, have an incredible kids' ministry. Every letter is about walking according to the Spirit and having close fellowship with Jesus, period. So we can't be the sleepy church. So he says, wake up. And what does he say? What's the remedy for that? He always gives us a remedy. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? What does the church of America need to do in order to awaken us from our slumber, in order for revival to be experienced? By the way, guys, do you know that revival is breaking out across the nation? Did you know there's pockets? Oh, yeah, you're not going to hear about this mainstream news. That's not going to happen, right? So, if, I mean, I don't know where you're looking for your news or wherever you're looking for all that stuff, but let me tell you, Asbury College in Kentucky is experiencing, they started a chapel service on Wednesday. It's still going on. It's still going on, 24-7. Yeah, I mean, they, they, brought, they brought food and had it outside the chapel so that they could just keep going because the Holy Spirit of God was doing something absolutely incredible, which Asbury College has a history of this in the 50s and in the 70s. Remember the Jesus movement in the 70s? Asbury College was right there at the beginning of this. 
And so, obviously, there, there is something special there, but it's not relegated to just Asbury College in Kentucky. In fact, as if it's like the 50s and it's like the 70s, it spread to other seminaries, it spread to other colleges, it spread to other universities, it spread to other churches, and that's beginning to happen now. In fact, there are people on their way, as we speak, to Kentucky to witness this, to see what the Holy Spirit's doing, and to pray and intercede for their home, for their church, for their university, for their seminary. Do you want that? I mean, I hope you want that because the Spirit of God is doing that. So what do we need to do if we are uh, seemingly alive but actually dead or asleep? Secondly, we need to remember what you have received. That's what he says very clearly. He says, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. First thing, we need to remember what we received. What have you received? So we have to answer that question. In order to remember what we've received, we have to know what we've received, correct? You don't, you don't know what you don't know. John 1.12 says, to all have believed in his name and have received him, he's given the right to become children of God. It says that when, in Ephesians 1, that when we come to that moment of faith, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? So what do you receive at the moment of faith, at the moment of trusting in Jesus? You receive the Holy Spirit of God, Amen. Jesus says, it's better that I go because if I go, the helper will come, right? And I've quoted it before, and it's catchy, but it helps me remember. J.D. Greer came up with it, right? But, I mean, it's probably not original to him, but the only thing better than Jesus inside you is Jesus beside you. I mean, sorry, the other way. Jesus beside you, Jesus inside you. It's the other way, okay? I just butchered that quote, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Ah. Anyway, it comes from a book called... Stop asking Jesus into your heart. You can reference that later. Anyway, okay. So the whole point is this. The Holy Spirit is what you receive at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, I'm afraid that the church of God is dead in many cases because we have failed to remember what we have received. Romans 8, 9, the apostle Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed, here it is, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now let's unpack that just for a minute. Okay, so it says that at the moment of salvation, when you believed, when you heard, and you believed... It says that you were sent and given the Holy Spirit to live inside you, and that is a guarantee of the things that are to come. Okay? So let's unpack that just a little bit further. A guarantee. 
the Holy Spirit is continually guaranteeing and reminding you that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will fulfill every single promise that he said. The Holy Spirit's constantly doing his work to remind us and to recall the word, the written word to us. So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. And the more we know of his character the, and how he interacts with us through his names. And so like his, some of the names of the Holy Spirit are the helper, the comforter, the living water, wind, and fire, right? And so, so Jesus said, I will send you the helper. Isn't that a good thing? I'm going to send you the helper. When you're going through sorrow, I'm going to help you. When you're conflicted, I'm going to guide you. When you're full of guilt and shame, I'm going to remind you of the forgiveness and fellowship of Jesus. You see what the helper does? Oh, we spend the rest of the time just talking about the helper. And Jesus said, that's who I am sending He will advocate for you. He will help you. He will comfort you. So, anybody, does anybody ever do research and you kind of get obsessed over it when you get into it? Anybody fall? I I have a feeling like there's a few of you in this category. Because I'm going to say myself in there too. So, I was truck shopping. Y'all know where this might be going. I was truck shopping. Well, I wanted to know everything there was to know about the various engines that, right, of the, of the truck because I needed, of course, it's going to sound like Tim the Toolman Taylor. I needed more power, okay? <laughs> yeah, that, okay, I did it. Yeah, I needed more power, right? And, and so you can, you can see all these trucks driving down North Street or wherever, and they all kind of look the same, right? You know, an F-250 or a Ram 2500 or Silverado 2500. I mean, they all kind of look about, right, the same, but they have different things under the hood, right? And whether it's a Cummins or an Allison or a, or, or a Hemi, right, is it gas or is it diesel? But, but the engine under the hood, right, and, and you can ask my wife. She says, I lost about three weeks of my life studying, studying this, right? And so you can talk to her about how bad it was for about three weeks, yeah, because she didn't want to hear any more about engine comparisons, about displacement, you know, and the, the cylinders and the power. She didn't want to hear any more about that. She said, just get the truck and let's get it over with so we can get on with our lives. That's a literal quote from Jody, okay? Literally. So full confession today, Right? get a little obsessive when it comes to research and all that kind of stuff, right? And so what I discovered is truly this, right? I tell you this funny story because what's, un- what under- what's under the hood really matters. Like what is powering the truck makes a significant difference, right? Because I had the little old 5.4 Triton V8, the same thing they put in an F-150, and I had it in an F-250, which is a very heavy truck. And let's just say when you're pulling a trailer going 40 miles an hour down 259, you might as well just be chunking tins out the window, if you know what I'm saying. Because that's, that's, that's all it's doing, right? And so I'm like, okay, what's under the hood really does matter, right? That's the same way with the church. What's under the hood matters, guys. Like, what is powering us? What's powering us is the Holy Spirit, 
in the churches that refuse to raise the awareness, speak of, or proclaim, or pray to in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they are cutting themselves short. It's like a short circuit in the programming of the engine. They can be pressing the gas, but nothing is going to be coming out. And that's the same way it is with the churches that refuse to walk according to the Spirit. What's under the hood greatly matters. And so this church at Sardis, I think, forgot that they received the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, and they're not acting like that. They're more concerned on the externals. They're more concerned with building their kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. And so what does he say? He says, he says I, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Now, this is not like when Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, he says, you know, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know, right? That's talking about the second coming. That's not what we're talking about here. This is talking about, I will come like a, Jesus is saying, I will come like a thief in discipline here, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. What is he meaning? Well, it all goes back to the fellowship. You will wake up one day, and you will realize what you have lost. You will wake up one day, and you'll realize the lost years that you didn't have sweet, intimate, beautiful fellowship with me. And that is sad. And that's what Jesus is saying. Also, what is he saying? You can write this down. Slumber will cause you to lose out. Slumber will cause you to lose out. Your numbness your slumber will cause you to lose out on intimacy with the Father in the Spirit's work in your life and in the life of the church. Jesus said he is coming like a thief, but the point is that he will remove his close fellowship with you. And so let me highly encourage you, church, do not slumber the years away. Do not grow numb to the awesomeness of Jesus. Do not grow numb to the awesomeness of God. This is why we're doing core classes at 915. This is why we're encouraging people to come because we want you to get to know Yahweh. We want you to get to know who God is and his character on a deeper, more intimate level. It's not just so that we can have a class and have some cinnamon rolls. That's all good, right? But we truly want to know the Lord and make him known and interact with him. Slumber will cause you to lose out. Y'all, have y'all ever heard the story of Rip Van Winkle? The guy, man, that slept like 40 years or whatever, like slept his life away? This is a true story. My dad, when he went to SFA, went to school with a guy named Rip Van Winkle. My dad did not believe him. He literally pulled out his driver's license to show him he literally was Rip Van Winkle. No joke. I'm serious, right? Is that, that's, true, that's a true story. And so, and so dad, uh, dad tells me this, and I, I just, it always cracked me up, but, you know, that's what dad would tell me if, I, if he came in and I was taking a nap. And, well, son, can't be Rip Van Winkle and sleep your life away, right? That's what, that's what, he, would, that's what he would tell me, right? Because I knew him, right? And so, uh, yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. And so uh, 
as I think about that, I think about, is that what the church is doing? Is the church sleeping our life away? Have, Have we heard the truths of God so many times that it has become numb and the relationship of God is not there because we don't rely upon the Holy Spirit to activate or engage us with the Father? Church, let's not waste our time that we've been given. Let's pray for revival. May what is happening at Asbury happen at University Church and at Nacogdoches and at SFA. Not so that things can be like they used to be, but so that we can experience a fresh wind and a fresh fire that comes from a church being alive in the Spirit. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what will we do, what will you do to not be a church or an individual that is sleepy and going through life dead in your relationship with God? What practices are you putting in place to cultivate intimacy with the Father through the Son? He who has an ear to hear, Let him hear what the Spirit has to say.